0: Welcome back to The Most Accurate Podcast here at 444 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle. And join today, a very special guest. Not only friend in life, not only a dog father, an actual father, husband to a TikTok entrepreneur, but I think most people know him best as ESPN's own Field Yates. Field, how are you doing, buddy?
1: I'm doing great. Uh, Last time I saw you was about a little over a month ago, I guess now, in, in Indianapolis, a very brief encounter, unfortunately, and one of those encounters where you could have said anything about me. You could have told me that I was your least favorite human on earth, and I would have no idea because the bar that we were in was extremely loud, and I don't remember a single conversation I had, not because I had too many beers, but because I couldn't hear a darn thing. I had a few beers for reference,
0: but you could also explain also what was going on in that situation. It's the fact that One, it was very, very late at night as the combine tends to get for all of us working in football. But also, you had a few friends around you and there were only a handful of people that I consider of your stature that I have personal connections with that I genuinely don't mind going up to and hugging. And like, I went up to you and hugged you. It was like, buddy, like, how's it going? But also, it's so loud. There are so many people around the Great Field Yates that I should have stopped to talk to you more, but admittedly, I did not. And I even like... Message you, as we know, embarrassingly the next morning saying, hey, like I should have said more to you since we're actually
1: friends. Oh, uh, so I,
0: I apologize about that. Uh, I already messaged you and, and told you I'll make it up to you and I will definitely come out to a brewery in the Northeast area this summer so we can sit down together.
1: I'm into that 100% of everything you said right there. I'm all aboard. So let's make that happen and atone for indie errors, which I take a lot of responsibility for, by the way, as well.
0: Absolutely. We will make up for it this summer. But right now, There's a lot happening in this NFL draft, and that's why you're here today. And normally, I wouldn't mind jumping around night one, but honestly, the first five picks need to be discussed in chronological order because everything is on the table. And that begins with your thoughts on the Texans, the number one overall pick, since we know Going back just a couple months ago, CJ Stroud was the heavy favorite universally at every sports book you looked at. And now, given recent news from your colleagues, Adam Schefter, Todd McShay, also at every sports book, Bryce Young suddenly minus 300 at so many spots. So, what are you hearing at the number one overall pick with the Panthers?
1: Yeah, I think at this point, Bryce Young going number one overall should be considered whatever a step below a lock is because there's still some time before the draft actually takes place but it would be an upset and the sports books agree now if somebody other than Bryce Young was taken number one overall the recent signals have not only been consistent but they've continued to grow stronger and stronger I don't know that we'll get a declaration from the Panthers as to whether they've decided on Bryce Young prior to the draft but every few years we do know the team makes it very clear who they're taking first overall I'm actually old enough to remember when Jameis Winston signed his rookie contract the night he got drafted that's how much of a formality it was that he was going to the Buccaneers it already ironed out whatever details need to be ironed out so Bryce Young again 100% too strong of a characterization but I think about a 90 to 95% confidence scale is appropriate right now for Bryce Young to the Panthers. And for everyone listening, recall that last year, Walker
0: did not become the heavy favorite as the number one overall pick until 48 hours prior. Yeah, so it was lots just of a weird draft
1: last year. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, this one, I think anytime there's a quarterback and anytime there's a trade up, when the team who makes that move is, obviously, is doing so with obvious intentions, I think we can kind of get our finger on the pulse a bit more for pick number one.
0: And that's what makes number two so interesting with the Texans because, and I want to hear your thoughts on both scenarios, because if Bryce Young does happen to go number one, I do think Nick Cesario and the the Houston organization are somewhat locked in their ways. And as it's being reported right now, are undecided what to do at number two if Young goes number one. And so what do you think happens at number two if Bryce does go one? And then do you think it's a lock that they
1: take Bryce Young if he falls to number two? That part, I think, is easy. If he falls to number two, I think Bryce Young becomes a Houston Texan. So I'll get that out of the way. If that happens, I think it's basically a done deal. If Bryce Young goes to Carolina, though, it gets really interesting, not just because of the evaluation of C.J. Stroud, which I think everybody agrees that if Bryce Young were three inches and 25 pounds heavier, we would have no debate. He'd be the easy number one pick, and it would be – I don't know how the rhetoric would change – But it would be even more universal in its praise for Bryce Young. So CJ Stroud, I think, deserves to be in the number two overall conversation based off of quarterback prospects alone and really overall prospects as well. The dynamic to mention here for the Texans, and I know that people don't usually care about this stuff, is that CJ Stroud is represented by David Muligeta, one of the most successful agents in the entire NFL, who also happens to represent Deshaun Watson. Of course, relations between Muligeta and Watson and the Texans became frosty at the end of his time, meaning Watson's time in Houston. And I understand they're going to eventually have to deal with more clients from David Muligeta. He's got a long list of clients and a lot of really good players, but with a second quarterback, the quarterback to basically succeed Deshaun Watson, because since Deshaun was traded, it's been Davis Mills and kind of a rotation of other insignificant options. This would be, an, that'd be a fascinating dynamic, and I'm not saying you can make your decision exclusively based off of who the player is represented by, but I will mention that it has been mentioned to me several times that is a dynamic that is at least worth considering in this number two overall pick. So if it's not Bryce Young, because he's gone, I think trading down's in play. I think taking a quarterback is in play. I think taking a defensive player is in play as well. I think the most likely defensive player would be Will Anderson from Alabama. Speaking of trading down, that's my
0: lean right now with the Cardinals at number three. And yes, if they don't have a good offer on the table come draft night, perhaps they stick around. Monty Ozenford, of course, spent 15 years with the Patriots across their scouting department, even as a director of scouting personnel at one point. So maybe they lean on secondary, on Prioritizing defensive players, especially given that they now have Jonathan Gannon, a defensive-minded coach under place. But what are you hearing around trade scenarios with the number three pick right now?
1: Everybody believes the Cardinals are the most likely team to move slots in the first ten picks of the NFL draft, up or down. Obviously, they won't move up, but they—I I mean, of all the teams that are going to move up or down, they're the most likely candidate. And moving down makes so much sense because obviously there are four quarterbacks that are considered the top four at the position this year, and then. I would offer a fairly significant drop-off between whoever you believe is quarterback four and Hendon Hooker. You factor in Hooker's age and the fact that he's going to be, who knows, health-wise by the time the season starts, coming off an ACL tear late last year. I believe it was November when he tore that ACL. Um, So I think that the Cardinals should be motivated to auction that pick off. And you're right. If they don't get a good enough offer, you, you can't move down just for the sake of moving down. If it's from seven to three and you get an extra fifth-round pick, no way, right? Like, that doesn't do anything for you if you are Arizona. At that point, I would say the most likely outcome is Will Anderson goes there at number three because he checks every box for any defensive scheme. And I understand that he's not Von Miller or one of the Mosa brothers in terms of pedigree coming into the draft, but high-floor player. I think one of the safest bets in the draft this year, but I expect Arizona – if it doesn't happen before the draft, to take basically every minute they have available during the first round to field offers to move down.
0: Consensus right now with the next pick at number four in the Colts is a quarterback. But I, and I'm in the minority here, I still have somewhat of a hard time wrapping my head around that since it wasn't a regime change they just underwent. They simply hired a new head coach under Chris Ballard and maybe given Ballard's whiffs with Frank Reich and usually targeting veteran quarterbacks maybe that does change their plans and finally bring someone to the table but in signing Gardner Mitch who understands the playbook I think still one of the best backups in the league that you can have roll out there for at least half a season I don't know if it's pressing at number four so right now what are your thoughts with the Colts and what they're thinking at number four
1: so I think you're right in that everybody is assuming a quarterback but should we be so certain of that I'm not entirely positive because when you're sitting at four, if you're getting quarterback four, because obviously we think there's a good chance two, if not three quarterbacks are already gone. Are you really getting the quarterback that you prefer? Because I often tell people, you got to kind of equate quarterback prospects to house hunting. Like if you and I go see five houses in a neighborhood and they're all listed for the same price, it doesn't mean that A, you and I will like them similarly. And B, that like you might like one a lot and I might hate it you you prefer whatever you a house with a pool i prefer a house that uh you know has a brand new kitchen or something right with quarterbacks like just because will levis might be qb4 on most people's boards if he's the only quarterback there and the Colts are like we don't see it you don't just take a quarterback and force the issue there the problem with indianapolis is that it would just be such a potentially rare missed opportunity because who's to say they're going to be back in this spot next year maybe the counterpoint is that They won't be very good next season. They'll be in the Drake May slash Caleb Williams sweepstakes next year. That's certainly possible, but I do tend to look at their roster and still see enough talent that if Gardner Minshew plays like he has in recent seasons, I think the Colts can win enough games to not be irrelevant, especially in a division that has really one team in the Jaguars that I feel confident in, and then three others that I'm still shoulder-shrugging right now. Not to mention that we are not expecting, at least
0: unless you're hearing something different, Yannick and Gawkway to return. So they are in need of an edge rusher. If both yeah. Tyree Wilson and uh, Will Anderson are there and, in just trading Stefan Gilmore to the Cowboys, you would think they are in the market for a potential shutdown quarter in Christian Gonzalez
1: or Devin Witherspoon. Yeah. Both guys would fit a lot and they would they fit everywhere. We'll talk. I'm sure we'll talk about them more, but uh, you're absolutely right. Like, if they do stand pat at four and they're not content with the quarterback, I think you have two options. A, you try to find a team that is content with that last quarterback because there'll probably be somebody who likes Will Levis or Anthony Richardson as QB4 and says, like, no, we're willing to make that move. Whether it's Tennessee, who's in your own division, maybe that's, that's unlikely, but Washington, Tampa, whoever it is, somebody that's lower on the draft board that you could persuade into joining you uh, or to take that number four pick off your hands. That is certainly in play. Um, I would just say, though, that um, we are all acting a little bit too certain about what's happening at the top of the draft. And just about two weeks out, I'm not totally convinced that it's going to be as conventional as we're currently assuming.
0: I completely agree. And that goes for the next pick at number five with the Seahawks. Here's where good fun, yeah. Who, I think, they remind me of a poor man's Eagles roster. And that really, sure, they can add depth. But they don't need to feel much holes, despite having, because they so far have won the Russell Wilson trade, five picks in the top 83. And so I'm curious on your thoughts on what they are considering at number five.
1: This feels like the Jalen Carter spot to me. This is a team that has a head coach and a GM that have so much cachet, right? And if you're a new GM or a GM on the hot seat, I don't know that you could swing as boldly as Jalen Carter is a swing right now, given some of the off-field and other concerns that have surrounded him during the pre-draft process. But if you're Seattle, you've got a head coach and GM who are going nowhere and a team that just made the playoffs and should be better this upcoming year and has other draft picks that they can utilize to address any other need they might have, you have the chance to maybe land the guy that's the best player in the draft. And Seattle's been unafraid to do things like this in the past, I know people will point to Malik McDowell in the second round a handful of years ago out of Michigan State that was an absolute waste of a pick. But they have also gone down less conventional roads than people expect and had great success. And I'm not just talking about players in the fifth round like Richard Sherman or players late in the draft, right? Like even, and this seems crazy now, when Bobby Wagner was drafted in the second round out of Utah State, people were like, why on earth would the Seahawks use a second-round pick on Bobby Wagner, and they've always kind of marched to the beat of their own drum in the draft, and I think as a result of that, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Jalen Carter is the fifth overall pick to the Seahawks.
0: The Lions made the most recent news in trading Jeffrey Okuda, the former number three overall pick in the 2020 draft, to the Falcons for just a fifth round selection, and previously before that, I had the Lions selecting an Edge Rusher, one of the better players, falling to them at number six overall. But now, in dealing with that, even though they spent $29.5 million guaranteed this offseason in cornerbacks, I'm thinking it's suddenly a secondary, a cornerback player in particular. Do you agree with that at number six? Knowing that, of course, they can also maybe fill that role at number 18, too.
1: Devin Witherspoon feels like he was built in Dan Campbell's personal lab because not only does he fit a massive need, and I would always remind people, and I know this is somewhat intuitive, but I think people maybe forget it every year for one reason or another. The draft's not just about filling your needs for now. It's about filling your needs for the future, too. And Emmanuel Mosley, who I really like, by the way, out of San Francisco, signed a one-year deal with Detroit. It's a one-year deal. A year from now, he could be elsewhere. If he plays well, he could cash himself out and go hit free agency again. But Witherspoon, who is the toughest corner, he reminds me, and I hate pro comparisons for the most part, but his edge is like Cortland Finnegan, who is kind of a throwback player for those who are less familiar. He was as surly of a cornerback as we saw in the NFL. He played most notably for the Titans and, like, literally went fist to cuffs with Andre uh, Andre Johnson. Was that, was it like two thousand. Six, seven? I don't know when it was. Andre Johnson was a long time ago, yeah. It was a long time ago, but the two had the nastiest brawl we've seen in a while on an NFL field. So I would not be surprised if Witherspoon's the pick at number six. He seems to just fit so much of what the Lions would love to do, and it's a major need right now because uh, I know 2022 might be uh, 2023 might be accounted for with their top two corners, but this team had some serious secondary issues last year with communication. They have a physicality that's unmistakably Detroit Lion. That would be, to me, such a great marriage.
0: As producer Sal points out, 2010 was the Cortland Finnegan-Andre Johnson fight, which wasn't that long ago, but Jesus, we're old. That feels like, yeah, so, so long ago. I want to jump now to the mid-round selections, and I think the Titans are really interesting. Your colleague, Kuyper, did most recently mock them moving up for Will Levis from number 11 overall. We also know Mike Vrabel attended Tennessee's Pro Day and was personally – coaching and giving technique tips to Darnell Wright, who the Titans, of course, have a pressing need at left tackle after releasing Taylor Lewon. But also, Wright is getting steamed up these draft boards because at 6'5", 333, he showed at his pro day a 97th percentile speed score. Just an absolute Makai Becton-like freak. So yeah. your thoughts on what the Titans are thinking right now?
1: They are one of I, – I would actually make the case that they are the most interesting team in this year's offseason. And here's the reason why. What are they? Right, they they have too many pieces in place right now to figure that they're going to be terrible next year. Right, like Brian Tannehill, whatever you think of him, he's the largest cap hit in the league. Still, that always brings on my mind. It's crazy, right? Thirty six point six million for Tannehill. He's helped them win a lot of games, as has Derrick Henry. Both players still on that roster, right? But they've got serious holes across the offensive line. They've got unproven wide receivers. They've got a defense that was not good enough last year. They couldn't get enough consistent edge pressure and. Their best sack producer last year, not named Jeffrey Simmons, who Demarcus Walker now plays for the Bears. So uh, this is a team, and I certainly getting Harold Landry back will help and a couple other pieces that were hurt this past year, but more than anything, and again, this sounds obvious, but new, re- new regime, obviously, at least a new GM, I should say, Rand Carthon, they got to get a first round pick right. You go look at their past couple of first round picks, oh boy, in recent first rounds, Isaiah Wilson, offense tackle, I don't think he played. He played like a snap for them, some ridiculously low number of snaps. Caleb Farley, Virginia Tech cornerback, back injury, has basically missed two seasons. And in this past year, Traylon Burks, who you know, I think there's promise there, um, but obviously did not replace A.J. Brown at nearly an adequate enough level for Titans fans to feel any way other than pissed off about the A.J. Brown trade. So this is one where they got to hit it this year. Let's fast forward to the Patriots
0: at number 14 overall. Not saying you're still biased, but obviously coming up in the Boston area. I I assume you still have ties there. What can they possibly be thinking? Because as we know historically, Bill Belichick knows two ways, and it's either to trade back if the player on his big board is not available the moment they're on the clock, or take that player, a la Cole Strange and so many other references, that is there, but may still be a round or two by... Consensus books too early. So yeah, what are the Patriots? Ignore mock
1: drafts, right? He yes, ignores exactly. mock drafts. Um, but you're right. Trade back is always my guess for the Patriots just because it's part of their blood. Um, you look at their needs right now, though. I would argue their most pressing needs remain offensive line help, young offensive tackles. They've pieced together um, some veterans in the in free agency. But I think that long term, there's still a young offensive tackle need wide receiver to me remains a need as well and cornerback and i would say two of those three line up with the draft class at pick 14 one of them maybe not the two that do line is offensive tackle and cornerback we talked about devin witherspoon i think he's long gone but whether it's a christian gonzalez a joey porter jr amongst examples of cornerbacks that could be in the mix for mid-round or even top 10 selection in christian gonzalez's case um but i don't know that wide receiver. And I know that a lot of people have been talking about this recently. Um, I'm not sure this wide receiver class is going to go as high as some are forecasting them to go. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba will be a first round pick for sure. Everybody else will see. I'm not saying there won't be at least one other wide receiver in the first round, but I think that if you were to look at mock drafts and the average number of first round wide receivers, I think it might be overestimating relative to how I hear it from NFL scouts with one caveat. It only takes one team to draft a player for him to go in the first round, right? So if I'm hearing that, hey, maybe Jalen Hyatt isn't as likely to go in the first round as some mocks have him, and then someone takes him at 29, whether it's, I think it's the Vikings, or somebody that that trades up to pick number 29 or trades back to 29, like just because certain teams don't see it one way, another team might see it that way, which could result in a player going in the first round that I don't expect. So, you're thinking number 14 may be too early for the Patriots, although they
0: need receiver to pull the trigger there.
1: If Jackson Smith and Jigba is there, certainly would be compelling. But I think the offensive tackle class lines up well at 14. I think the cornerback class could wind up at number four or could align well at 14 as well. And finally,
0: since you are the host of the fantasy focused podcast with Mike Clay, Stefania Bell, Daniel Dopp, and of course, Liz Loza. It only makes sense. We leave everyone with a fantasy nugget. So
1: your landing spot for the one and only Bijan John Robinson. So Mike, the problem with every B. John Robinson landing spot that I have contemplated is that there's already somebody there, right? Like almost every team is pretty well set at running back. And The teams that I don't think are particularly well set at running back, like are way too far down the board to consider Bijan Robinson. Like, you know, if he went to the Chiefs, which I know Isaiah Pacheco played great last year, it would be literally, it would break the internet, right? But they're not, he's not going to last that long and the Chiefs probably won't use another first round pick on a running back. So as we evaluate, I think players or teams that I think are maybe more likely, the one that I can't get out of my craw, and maybe this is blasphemous because they did find a reasonable rookie runner, this does feel like kind of an Arthur Smith thing to do, though, with the Falcons at pick number eight. And he he knows the value in a back that's special. He had Derrick Henry for a few seasons. And Henry, you know, make your case against taking a first-round running back or paying a running back. Derrick Henry was worth every penny the Titans paid him uh, during Arthur Smith's tenure. He probably he still has been worth every penny. That's the one that I can't quite quit. And while I think Tyler Algier's fine, I think Cordell Patterson is incredibly fun. If you put... B. John Robinson in that backfield right now. I would just write him. I mean, I would pencil him in as offensive rookie of the year and a top 10, 8 fantasy pick without blinking. Only the Cowboys, of
0: course, averaged more running back carries per game than the Falcons last year. Field, tell everyone where they can find you on draft night coming up in a couple bit weeks.
1: We will be watching on Twitter. So if you like uh, ESPN's draft coverage, we did something a little bit different on Twitter. It's a little more, it's just kind of laid back, fun uh, not quite as, uh, I, I can't promise you we're going to have the same level of insight as somebody like Mel Kuyper uh, on the traditional bat draft broadcast, Twitter, YouTube, ESPN, sort of social media channels. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Harry, uh, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, Andrew Hawkins, uh, hand by uh, Spencer Hall, who else are I here in there? Dominique Foxworth. There's a bunch of people that are going to be a part of it. It should be a lot of fun. Until then, we will be back next week with more draft and fantasy news
0: which is two weeks out from the big night. Until then, remember, be a little bit kinder than what's required. We'll see you
1: next time.